Well, this morning, um, we are not going to be in the normal series that we were in. We, we'd been talking for some weeks on things that were, we had saw coming in 2023 20, and beyond. Next week is Easter. So we're kind of in a lull between that, you know, between series. And I wanted to address something this morning that has been on my mind for a couple weeks and on my heart. And for those of you that have been close to our church uh, for some years, you're familiar with Miss Stacy Lang. She, she uh, passed away a couple weeks ago from ALS, and she battled that, fought that for several weeks, uh, several years. And we stood with her, prayed with her, and there's a lot of, uh, I think, questions on that. And so I, I want to teach today on a topic uh, the name of the sermon is How to Trust When You Don't Understand. And really, I just want to talk about some of these things that have been rolling around in my mind and heart on these things. And I love what we were singing this morning because so much of what we were singing has to do with trusting God, um, the, believing in the goodness of God, right? Believing that God is good when you don't see or understand everything. So I want to talk about a few of these things. And we can look together in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, that's where we're going to start this morning. But I want to begin by asking you, what is the purpose of faith? What is the purpose of faith? What is the purpose of belief? Because that's really what faith is. The Bible tells us that faith is, is you could say, trust. Uh, it's belief, but none of those words quite do it justice. Faith is almost something in and of itself. But what is the purpose of it? Because in the Bible, it seems so incredibly important to God. As a matter of fact, if you look at how our world is set up, why did God set the earth up the way that he did that requires so much faith to believe in God in the first place? If, I, if, if God wanted to, he could have easily set up the, the planet and the, the science of things, so to speak, where he was perfectly visible. I mean, we could all look up in the sky and see God on his throne if that's how he wanted it to be. He could be on some mountain somewhere on the earth where there was thunder and lightning and we could all go take a visit and we could see God physically and worship there at that mountain if we wanted to. If God had wanted things to be set up that way, that, that's how he could have done it. Why on earth did he set up things the way that he did? Why, why did he set up things where we have to have faith in God? And then faith becomes so incredibly important that it's literally the thing that purchases your salvation. That, that right there ought to tell you how important it is. Because you can't purchase salvation through, through your good deeds, through your works. How many know God? it's important to God that we love our neighbor, that we serve the poor, that, that you know, we do good deeds? It's important to God, but none of those things could purchase your salvation. Yet, simple belief, simple faith in believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came to earth as a man, died on the cross, was raised from the dead. He says, if you believe that, that's the one thing you can do that will purchase your salvation and guarantee you eternal entrance into heaven and save you from eternal hell. And, and this is why I think for us we go, what? What, what is it about faith that God looks at as so valuable and so important that it carries that kind of weight. So what is the purpose of faith? 
in our life? Is it so that we can have victory on every corner and every turn and never suffer a single difficulty or setback in our life? Is that the purpose of faith? Because some people think that way. They think, well, if my faith was strong enough and my faith was big enough and my faith was great enough, then I would never have any setbacks. I would never have any sickness. I'd never have any disease. I would never have any financial setback. Nothing bad would ever happen in my life because all I got to do is have enough faith and pray. God will answer those prayers and, we'll, and I'll never go through you know, anything if I have enough faith. Matter of fact, that's a lot of people's response when they hear that you're going through something difficult. And I say a lot. I don't know how many it is, but I've certainly talked to them in my lifetime. You go through some, you're going through something difficulty in their their, their answer almost always is, well, why don't you just have more faith about that? Why don't, you, why don't you just have faith, or why don't you pray about that more? Well, did you know that the purpose of faith is not so that you can have victory at every single turn, every single element of your life, and never suffer a single setback? That's not going to happen, because this ain't heaven, and this is not the earth that we live in. As a matter of fact, I talked to someone recently. They were talking about uh, some bad things that happened on this planet, <clears throat> and they made the statement. They said, "Well, you know, I just don't believe in all that because I believe that I'm redeemed from the cur- I-, I believe that I'm redeemed from the curse." Now, if you know your Bible, you know that that's a New Testament scripture. The Bible tells us that we've been redeemed from the curse, but it says more than that. They didn't finish the the sentence. It says we've been redeemed from the curse of the law, and the curse of the law is found in Deuteronomy chapter twenty eight. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, God lays out the, the blessing and the cursing and the curse that will come on people's lives for either following the law or not following the law. The curse of the law is this. If you don't follow the law that God laid out in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and, and, on, and Deuteronomy, if you don't follow the law, these curses are going to come on your life. And he lays it out. It's, it's sickness. It's disease. It's... It's, you know, problems with your crops, problems in your family. That is the curse of the law. There wasn't only a curse of the law, there was also the blessing of the law. And the blessing of the law was if you obey these scriptures, if you obey this law, you're going to be blessed coming in, blessed going out. You're going to be the head and not the tail. You're going to be above and not beneath. In other words, there's all these blessings that are going to be commanded on your life for what? For belief? No. For following the law. And all these curses are going to come on your life if you don't follow the law. Well, the New Testament flipped the script and it said that's not how we operate with God anymore. We don't operate with God where you walk in blessing if you follow the law and you walk in cursing if you don't follow the law. Now, there's consequences, natural consequences that happen. You know, if I do something stupid with my money, I'm going to feel the natural consequence of that. But God's not cursing me because I didn't follow his law. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the Bible says we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. But did you know there's another curse that you haven't been redeemed from? It's the curse that God put on this planet when Adam and Eve sinned in the very beginning. Do you remember that curse? He said, now, he said there's a curse that has come on this planet. And he said the whole earth is cursed now. Now death has entered entered this place. Now disease has entered this place. Now when you work the ground, you're going to have weeds and thorns and drought, and famine. And ladies, by the way, sorry about this one. He said, when you have childbirth, it's going to be very painful. Uh, And that's part of the curse that he put on the earth. Did you know that you're not redeemed from that curse? 
that, that curse is still in effect. And if, it, and if it wasn't, there'd never be anybody that would die. There'd never be anybody that got sick. Matter of fact, you wouldn't have to mow your grass. You could just speak to it. You could just say, grass, I'm redeemed from the curse. I command you to be short in the name of Jesus. And nope, still got to mow your grass. Still got to go to the dentist because your teeth are rotten. You still, you still got to take care of your health. No, you still have to walk through sin and death. You're still going to get old. You're still going to get wrinkles. You're still going to get gray. Your hair's still going to fall out. And one day, you're going to die, and you're going to go home to be with Jesus, and you're going to be off this cursed, broken, sin-filled planet, and you're going to be in a place where everything is perfect, and there is no sin, there is no death, and there is no curse. But that's not where you live right now. That's not where we live right now. And so what the Scripture teaches us to do is how to live in a place like that. How do we live in a, in a planet that is broken? How do we live in a planet that's filled with sin, filled with death, filled with sickness? The Bible has so many answers for that. But let me tell you, nobody's getting through this earth unscathed. Nobody's coming out on the other side without a few cuts and a few nicks and affected by the, the curse and the sin and the brokenness that's on this planet. If that were the case then Paul would have lived that kind of life too because I doubt anybody had greater faith than Paul, Peter. But that's not what they experienced in this life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, <clears throat> Paul lays out a few of the difficulties that, that he experienced and a lot of... It may sound like I, this is a message against faith. Believe me, it's not. If you didn't come to this church any amount of time, I, I strongly believe in the power of faith and, and its role in our life. Don't misunderstand but faith is not a ticket to never have any problems in this life. And if you think that, you're going to be disappointed. Look at what Paul walked through. He said, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. He said, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Let's just take a few of those things. You think Paul wanted to be in prison? You think he wanted to be beat for his faith? And let me ask you this, are, are there times that God intervened and people were set free from prison? I can think of a couple right offhand. How many of you remember when Peter in the book of Acts was in prison and the church was praying and angels showed up and set Peter free out of prison? Praise God for that, but that's not what Paul experienced right here. He experienced it in another time when he was with Barnabas and there was an earthquake and God set him free. But how many of you know Paul ended up, ended up dying in prison? Wouldn't that be confusing if you were Paul? You know, one time God miraculously sets me. All I had to do was start singing at midnight. By the way, how many sermons have you heard in your lifetime on that? The, the praising at midnight and God breaks free the chains and you get set free from prison. Praise God for that. That's, that's good. But he didn't experience that a, a few years later when he was in prison. He probably tried it. I, I, he probably started trying to praise again at midnight. He's like, he's like every midnight, he's like, all right, let's see. I can't remember exactly what I did, but... Maybe there was a formula that just caused that thing to shake. I don't know. No, I imagine he had some questions sitting in prison year after year. No angel showed up. No earthquake happened. He sat there in prison. See, when we preach and we think we love to talk about all those highlight moments, but we don't like to think about this. He sat in prison for three years uh, when he was writing this. And I imagine he didn't understand that. Didn't understand why I got set free one time. Now I got to walk through it. What is the difference? What is the difference? Why did God set 
Peter free from prison, but then John the Baptist ended up getting beheaded. Why did God set Peter free from prison? But James ended up getting killed as well. So far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? So, Paul was a man of prayer. He was praying all the time. How many of you know Paul saw some pretty amazing miracles in his life and in his journey? But did that faith save him from every single difficulty, every single setback, every single hardship? No, it did not. He walked through many difficulties and hardship. But praise God, he also had some victories too. There was one time he was stoned and left for dead, and God raised him up. There was another time he threw some sticks on a fire, and a snake jumped out and bit him, and they thought he was going to die, and God miraculously preserved him. There was the time he was set free from prison. So he had many victories, many miracles in his life, but guess what? He had a lot of trouble too, and a lot of difficulty as well. So all I'm trying to get you to understand this morning is, faith is not a magic ticket that excludes you from every amount of difficulty, sin, you know, death, disease, things that are on this earth. It doesn't exclude you from every single thing. Sometimes, quite the contrary, sometimes faith is actually what carries you through those things. It's not always something that excludes you from everything. As a matter of fact, the greatest faith in Scripture is the faith that still believes God, still trusts God, even when they haven't seen the result. That is the truest and purest form of faith, is when you are believing God, and you're trusting God, and you're holding on to God, and you yet haven't seen the result or the answer. That's actually when real faith is most required. So faith is not a magical way to get every single prayer answered and never have a setback. As I said, sometimes faith is what you need the most when you didn't get the prayer answered. Now, I want to pause here and make a disclaimer because sometimes when you start talking like this, people, what they sort of hear you say is, well, we just have to leave it all up to the will of God. In other words, you pray and then it'll just be the will of God whether it happens or not. That's not correct either. Actually, in Scripture, there's a lot of reasons why uh, prayers could not be answered or things could not happen. There's a lot of reasons why bad things happen in our life. It's not always on God's end. I'll give you just a few. Uh, here's one reason the Bible gives us why prayer is, not unanswer- why prayer is unanswered sometimes. Uh, unforgiveness. The Bible talks in Matthew 11 about the power of faith to move mountains, but then at the end of it he says, but but if you have unforgiveness in your heart or you have aught with your brother, he said you first need to go make that right. Why? Because that unforgiveness is going to hinder your prayer. There's another instance where, I believe it's 1 Peter, where 
Paul is, uh, Peter is talking to husbands and wives, and he, and he tells husbands, he says, you need to respect your wife lest your prayer be hindered. So, sin, unforgiveness, hey, lack of faith. James tells us that. He says, you can't be double-minded when you pray. He said, you've got to pray in faith. You've got to pray in faith. And if you're double-minded when you pray, in other words, you're wishy-washy, you're going back and forth. He says, don't let that person think they're going to receive anything from God. He says, a double-minded man will not receive anything from God. What about when Jesus, over and over and over again, when he prayed for people, he said, your faith has made you whole. Never once did he look at somebody and say, it was the will of God for you to be healed today. Never said that. He prayed for people, and he said, your faith has made you whole. Over and over and over again, he said that. Then there's the instance where he went to his hometown, and it says he was able to do no mighty works there. I thought God could do anything. I thought God could do everything. It says he was able to do no mighty works there because of their unbelief. So see, we don't have, if, you, if, you can, if you're not careful, you'll fall on either side of the ditch. You'll fall over here where you think, well, everything is faith and everything is on us. And, and all you got to do is pray and believe and everything will happen. And that, or, or you fall over on this ditch where faith is irrelevant and it's all just up to the will of God. So why pray anyway? We'll just, we'll just let, it, let it be according to the will of God. Well, did you know both are wrong? Because I see both in Scripture. And... So, no, we're not saying that every time something doesn't happen, that it's just because it's the will of God. Here's what we're saying. Every time that you don't get what you prayed for, it's not God's fault. That's the number one thing that you need to have in your mind. It could be because it's the will of God. That certainly is an option. It could be because there's something wrong with you, right? Could be you have unforgiveness in your heart you need to deal with. Could be you don't have the faith. You haven't built up that faith muscle in that area that you need to. You know, everybody in here can, can probably run some. You know, if, if, if I scared you or something or somebody, you had something chasing you, you could probably run from the stage to the back. But there are people that could run marathons, right, because they've trained for it. Everybody can run a little, but some people can run a long way. Somebody, everybody can lift a little, but some, some people can lift a lot because they've trained their muscles that way. Well, faith is a muscle too. Faith is a muscle that has to be developed. And there might be somebody who's really strong. They can get under 300 pounds and lift it. But if they put 500 pounds, they couldn't lift that. And faith is that way. Faith is a muscle that has to be built and developed. So sometimes... There are reasons why there are reasons within us why things don't happen. Other times there is other times you've done everything so to speak correct and you still don't get the answer and that's where we need faith. What we don't want to do is allow doubt to come in where now we're questioning God. Cuz I have I learned this a long time ago. It's never God's fault. And it is about the most foolish thing a human being can do in the world is to be mad at a divine perfect being who never sins and has never made a mistake. <laughs> that don't make any sense. If you're mad at God about anything, it's so foolish because God's perfect and never made a mistake. Here's what we know. God's perfect, never made a mistake. Man, sin, corrupt, ignorant, 
lacking knowledge, lacking faith, sinning all the time. Yeah, the problem's on our end. Now, you may not understand it. You may be lacking knowledge or information up here. How many have ever been really mad at somebody, furious mad, fighting mad, and then when you talked to them, you found out you only had part of the story? And when you heard the other part of the story, you felt really foolish. I had, a, I had something like that happen to me one time. Uh, this is the only time, by the way, because most of the time I, I have full of it. But this one time, just one time this happened to me where I was going to a CrossFit gym. And been, we'd been working out there for, some, for a while. And this new guy started coming. And I didn't really care for him because he seemed rude. He was a very rude guy. Just wouldn't talk to anybody, wasn't part of the group, off to by himself. People would, you would talk straight to him, like say, say, hi, good morning. And he would just ignore you. I'm like, this is the rudest guy I've ever met. And I'm like, I just don't really like this guy. You know, I kind of got a problem with him. Just seemed real arrogant. Then a few weeks later, I found out he was deaf. (laughs) And I was like, now who's the jerk, you know? (laughs) And how many times have we had things happen like, you're just so sure. You're like, God, and you're just forming your opinion. And then you found out the other side and you go, see, why can't, why can't I just be more neutral and give people the benefit of the doubt? And how many know if anybody deserves the benefit of the doubt, it's God? Yeah, we always need to err to that side. Because sometimes you don't know everything. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Let's look there. Not only sometimes do you not know everything, but sometimes you'll never get the answer that you're looking for. I mean, God is not obligated to give you an answer. And we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't put ourselves in a position because we're not God and He is. We shouldn't put ourselves in a position where we're trying to require an answer of Him. We need humility, and we need trust, and we need faith. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul walked through this again. Paul obviously walked through a lot. This is where he talks about his thorn in the flesh. He said, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Now, keep in mind, when Paul was first given this thorn in the flesh, he didn't know why he had it. The revelation of it was to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, that came later. That, that came through some wrestling with God and trying to figure out what is going on here. We're not told what the thorn in the flesh was. There's massive amounts of internet speculation that you can find and YouTube videos on what people think the thorn in the flesh is. I've never found anything satisfactory. So please do not send me emails or YouTube videos after this sermon. It normally happens when I talk on this subject. Just so you know, I don't watch them and I don't read them because I've already probably seen them and watched them and realized none of them are satisfactory. So nobody knows what the thorn is. If God wanted us to know what the thorn is, he would have told us. Yes, there are good ideas, but none that are for sure. So... He says, to keep me from being conceited, surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's not what Paul wanted to hear. 
That's not what Paul wanted to hear. He just wanted it to leave him alone. He didn't want to hear, my power is made perfect through your weakness. Why? Because that's something he was going to have to walk out and walk through for years to come. But God told him, my grace is sufficient. And in, in, in other words, he said, you're wanting me to remove this, but I'm not. He said, you actually need this in your life. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the power and the grace to walk through this difficulty and to endure this. That's not what Paul wanted here. And that's probably not what any of us want to hear. We just want God to, to remove it and take it away. Because it's easier. But God knows what he's doing. And I can tell you, everything that God did, let's just talk about Paul. Everything that God did for Paul, uh, he did because he loved Paul. And he's seeing something that Paul might not see. And he sees down the road and he sees the future, uh, Paul's future. And he's doing something in Paul. This is where trust and faith comes in. This is where trust and faith goes, well, I don't see everything, but this is what you said. And so I'm just going to trust you. I don't have all the answers. And I'm not getting the explanations that I want. And I'm really what Paul's being told here is just trust me. Trust me, this isn't going to be miraculously taken away. This is something you're going to have to walk through. But he said, my grace, praise God, is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul changed his attitude. Now, a lot of Christians don't do this. Look at Paul, once Paul heard that and understand that, he said, well, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. So instead of, instead of continually now, he did plead with the Lord three times, but once he got this revelation, he said, I'm not going to keep begging God, asking God why. I'm not going to keep doing that. No, he said, I'm changing my attitude. Now my attitude is shifting to, well, you know what? If that's what God says, then I'm going to actually be glad about this weakness. He said, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, and calamity, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul got a revelation that when I walk through these things, these hardships and these difficulties, that actually God's power can strengthen me to where I can endure those things, and, and I have closer fellowship with the Holy Spirit because of it. So that's really your only choice, isn't it? If you have something you don't understand... And, and you're upset about something, you're frustrated about something, you're disappointed about something with, to do with God. There's only really two choices. One is to change your attitude and your perspective of the way you're thinking about it. Or to get mad and bitter and stay disappointed towards God and towards His Word. So you, you have to decide what you're, you're going to do. One choice is a choice of faith. The other choice is a choice of unbelief. And that's the choice we've got to make. I remember when Jennifer, when we first found out that uh, Jennifer was pregnant, uh, her and I both have really poor vision, like physical vision, not spiritual vision, but we have really poor vision. I've worn contacts and glasses, you know, from the time I was, and man, if I, if I take my contacts out, I'm half blind. I used to think about... Uh, like if I was born before the days of glasses and contacts, 
I, I joke with my, my kids and, and my wife and I say, like, if I was born during the tribal times where we were, like, living in tents and stuff, I would have been at home with the women cooking and weaving blankets and stuff because I could not have gone out because to try to kill something, I would have probably shot one of my fellow tribesmen, you know, because I, I can't see. Uh, so we knew that, and so when we found out Jennifer was pregnant, we didn't want that for our kids, so we started praying while my son was in the womb, we would pray. We would lay hands over her belly, and we would pray that they were going to have 20-20 vision, that whatever this, you know, genetic thing was, whatever this hereditary thing was, that it wasn't going to be passed to our kids. And so we, we prayed, we believe, you know, for nine months or however long, you know, not every single day, but we would regularly, we would do that, we would pray, we would stand in belief for that. And uh, I, in my mind, I just thought, well, you know, it seemed easier in my mind, this is how foolish we can be, it seems easier in my mind that when God's forming the substance, that's the time to, you know, make some corrections, uh, rather than later, once there's a problem, trying to go back and fix I just think while you're creating it, that would be the time to do it, so we, we prayed and stood, and I don't know how old he was when we finally realized that he was about as half blind as me, um, and I remember I was disappointed. Genuinely, because I because I I could I, I was in so much faith that it shocked me. I really couldn't believe it. I was like, but "What? Everything I know and understand about prayer and the Word and faith." There, I I was shocked, and it it took me aback for a minute. And I wasn't mad at God or anything like that. I was just like, "This doesn't make any sense." Because what I know of the Word and prayer and faith, this this boy should come out seeing twenty twenty. Now you got to understand that in the gene pool. My brother has 20-20 vision. Uh, so he got that side of the gene pool. He didn't get all the best genetics, but he got that side. He At least he can see clearly a uh, lot he didn't get, you know, not nearly as handsome as me and intelligent and all that. But he does have 20-20 vision, and we've talked about that, uh, he and I. He's always bragging about that. But on my side, I knew that. So we prayed, and we didn't get it. But look, this was a moment for us, you know. We had a choice. We had a choice to make. And anybody who didn't know anything or anybody who believes a certain way, because we, we kind of grew up in a church where the faith, real, real, real heavy on the, on the side of faith, which is great. I still believe that way. But a lot of people would have said, well, I guess you, know, guess you just didn't have enough faith. But, but I can tell you from where we were standing, we had plenty of faith, so much to the point I was shocked <laughs> when I found out. I couldn't hardly believe it. Uh, so we had a choice to make. The choice was, are we going to get mad? We're going to be disappointed. We're going to get bitter. We're going to change what we believe. Or are we going to choose faith? Are we going to choose to trust God? Are we going to choose to go, you know what? I'm an imperfect being with an imperfect mind, with imperfect understanding. And I'm going to trust that God has the answer, but I don't know what it is. And one day... I'll get into eternity. He'll have 20-20 vision. I'll have 20-20. Well, I'll have 20-20 vision. And then I can ask him then why it didn't work out. But my job now is just to trust and believe God in that intermediate time. Is there really any other choice? <laughs> is there really any other way to do it? So we chose faith. You know, I think about my friends, Pastor Cedric and Dee Dee Jefferson, that Pastor Global Impact. You know, they were in this building. Some of you don't know the story. They, they were in this building before us. The walls that you see, those doors in the back, they built this. They built this stage. 
they built a lot of things in this building. And, and what happened, they, they were remodeling this building. They had another building. They were believing God. Big miracle for them to get in this church building and grow their church and, and all of that. <clears throat> Long story short, I'm shortening the story. Long story short, that never happened. They, they invested so much money into this building, <clears throat> and eventually, it didn't work out. They had to go back to their other building. And I can't imagine the disappointment that they experienced. They were up here with their own hands, working, you know, sometimes late into the night with people in their church, and ended up, ended up not being able to, to uh, remain, financially being able to remain in this building, and ended up having to, to leave, went back to their other building, they prayed. They believed God. They wanted it to work out so bad. And it didn't. It didn't work out. They ended up having to go back to their other building. And then later, of course, I didn't know any of this when we bought this building. I found it out later. But we ended up buying the building. And, and God has used it to bless our church. Well, well, later, Pastor Cedric and I became friends. And We've talked so many times about the disappointment that they walked through with that as they prayed and believed God for the money to come in and it, and it, didn't, it didn't work out. But I re, you know how we became friends? Because I was driving on the other side of town one day and I didn't know where their church was. And we drove by and I saw another building, sort of similar to this one, another building that they had Big sign across the front, Global Impact Ministries. And, and I thought to myself, I said, did this man, did this man go through all of that to, to do this with a building, lose everything, and then go start over and do it somewhere else? What kind of human being does that? What kind of human being has that faith to walk through that kind of disappointment and then have the faith to go start it over again and do it somewhere else? I wasn't sure I had that, so I remember I pulled in there. I'm like, I got to meet this guy. And we walked in, and we met, and we've been very, very close friends ever since. But he didn't understand that. I don't know that he still has an answer to this day. But somehow, the faith that he had in him to put that aside and go do it again and say, God will come through this time, that, that's a special kind of faith. Then when I look at the whole story, though, I mean, me and him started talking later, and, and you know, is it God orchestrated it? Is it God just used a bad situation to, to bring good? I don't know. But I look at it and go, we wouldn't be here doing what we're doing if they hadn't done that. We wouldn't be in this building touching lives, children, youth, you in here this morning. And I've told him so many times, I said, uh, you didn't do it voluntarily, but you sowed a lot into my church, brother. You didn't know me. You didn't know you were doing it. But every penny y'all spent is still working in the kingdom. It's still working in the kingdom. You didn't lose anything. You may, it may look like you lost it. It may have looked like you lost all of that, but God kept it in the kingdom. He kept it going for somebody else, for another group of people. And I tell him, you don't get credit for it because you didn't do it on purpose. But God knew what he was doing, and that money is in the kingdom, and it's still working in the kingdom of God. Now, praise God, he got to see the end of that. But how many of you know he could have moved to another state after that and never saw what happened with this place. And he could still be just wondering, God, why? God, why? In that, one, in that instance, he got to see the end of it and go, man, praise God. God used that for something else. He used it for another church, a church that I love, a, a pastor that I'm friends with. Isn't that beautiful? But you don't always get to see the end of it. And that's where trust comes in. 
That's where faith comes in. That's where the benefit of the doubt comes in. And you go, I may not get to see the end or know the end result, but God, I trust you. I believe in you, and I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to have all the understanding. Let's keep a few things in mind. Number one, you will never have all the information. Please remember this when it comes to God and everything. You never have all the information. At best, you just have a very small fraction and a, and a small percentage of the information. We don't know the past. We don't know the future. Our minds are very, very, very limited. We don't, you never have all the information. So when you're experiencing something that you don't understand, you need to remind yourself of that. I don't have all the information. And I need to withhold judgment and I need to choose faith because one day I'll have all the information, but right now I don't have all the information. For example, if, and this happened by the way, but how many of you know I'm married, you don't get to see my wife a lot because she's in children's church, married, happily married, 20 years this year by the way, I'm waiting for, there you go, you got it, okay, 20 years this year, I know I don't look that old, but we started dating young, 20 years we've been married, happily married, glory to God, and so I'm married. You know I'm married. I, you know, most of you know my wife. But if you see me out in the foyer and you saw me hug and kiss a beautiful blonde woman other than my wife, what would you think? I mean, that would be a little bit weird, wouldn't it? Until you find out she's my sister. That's right. I have a beautiful blonde sister. She's younger than me. And as far as Jean, I think she outdid my brother and I. But anyway... I had, I had that happen one time. Somebody, I was, I, you know, not thinking about it. I'm out in the foyer. I'm hugging my sister, kissing. She's beautiful. And somebody's like, what's Pastor Josh doing? This looks a little weird. Well, that's my sister. What? You never have all the information. You never have all the information. When you go to make a judgment and you think you know something and you think, and how, how much more with God? I mean, we should do that with each other, right? We should give the benefit of the doubt with each other, with other human beings. How much more with God? Does he deserve the benefit of the doubt? How much more should we go? Well, it's looking like this, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because I know there's more to the story. There's more information that I don't know, more things that I haven't seen yet. Amen? I mean, I've had people, I remember, I don't have enough time to tell all the stories, but I've had people get mad at me in this church over things they were just so convinced about that it had happened this way. And then once they heard the story, they felt so dumb because they're like, oh, I didn't know all that. I know you didn't know all that. I know you didn't know all that. That's why you ought to give us the benefit of the doubt. Why? Because you never have all the information. Number two, four things I want to leave you with this morning. Number two, it matters what you say and how you react when you are disappointed. It matters to God. It matters what you say and how you react when you are disappointed. Malachi chapter 3, verse 13, God spoke to the children of Israel after spending some time listening to them talk when they were frustrated. And he said, your words have been very hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. 
What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed because evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. This is a theme throughout scripture where uh, there seems like a lot of Christians that get disappointed over this. The idea that bad things happen to good people, but then it seems like people that are sinning and living wickedly, they just go on happy and blessed. There's a common theme that God addresses all through the book of Psalms as well. So he's, he, he's talking to him. He said, look, your words have been very hard against me, and I've heard everything that you've said. And he said, you call the arrogant blessed and say evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test. Look at verse 16. But then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. It means out of one ear, he's hearing the believers that are mad and upset and disappointed, and they're talking about God. But on the other side, he said, but then there was a whole group of people that feared the Lord and esteemed his name and counted him reverence and holy. And he turned over to Gabriel and he said, hey, get, get, get out a book. And I want you to write this down, what they're saying. A book of remembrance was written. You know what that book of remembrance is for? It's for the day when we stand before him. And books are opened. And every deed and every word, the Bible says, that we're going to give an account for is, is looked at. He said, yeah, that, that book is going to be opened. And I'm going to recall and I'm going to remember those words that you spoke about me. Those words of faith. Those words of belief. He said, the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve God. Amen. So it matters what you say and how you react when you are disappointed. Now, the Bible is filled with men of God, women of God, that didn't always respond correctly. You go read the Psalms. David had some moments with the Lord, asking questions. Why? What is, what is going on? But I'm going to tell you a big difference. There's a big difference between going to God with some questions and going to other people and starting to jabber and talk about God and everybody getting this whole thing in their mind that, you know, God did this or this didn't turn out or I'm disappointed, you'd be way better off just going to the Lord and seeking Him about it and getting that right with Him. Because can I tell you something? Man's not going to be able to help you with this anyway. This is something that has to be solved between you and God. So there is definitely a place for questioning, for help. Go into your, your pastors and, and leaders and say, hey, help me understand this. Go into more mature believers and say, hey, help me understand this. Go into God and saying, God, I'm frustrated, I'm disappointed, help me understand this. That's okay. There's a place for that. But what you don't want is to let bitterness and unbelief settle down in your heart. Number three, you have to remember that God is not aloof or indifferent to your situation. In Matthew 10, 29, he said this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them 
will fall to the ground apart from the Lord or without the Lord's knowledge. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, because you are of more value than many sparrows. I'm so glad he said many and not a few. That would have felt weird. You are more value than a few sparrows. But he said many sparrows. At least it's many sparrows that would take to equal your value. But no, he said two sparrows are sold for a penny, yet not one falls to the ground that God doesn't know about. Every bird that dies... God knows about it. God cares about it. Every, every animal. And he said, you are of much more value than them. Sometimes I have to remind myself when I'm praying for people uh, that are sick, people that are in pain, people that are hurting. Sometimes I have to remind myself, God loves these people more than you do. God wants them healed more than you do. God cares more about them and their situation. He wants them whole more than you do. And you sometimes need to remind yourself of that because you'll be feeling like you're trying to convince God, like, God, they're going through this, and God's going, I've known them since before they were ever born. I know how many hairs are on their head. I've walked through them through every detail of their life. I've seen every single pain, every single hurt, every single trauma, every, every single backstabbing. I've seen every bit of it. What are you talking about? You're acting like you care about them more than I do. I created them. I've known them before they were born. I promise you God cares more about it, that situation, than you do. And you have to remind yourself of that. God is not aloof or indifferent to our suffering and towards our pain. But there are things that we don't understand. There's knowledge that we don't have that we have to trust and give God the benefit of the doubt. Amen? Number four, no matter how complicated we make it, it really just simply is an issue of trust. We can explain, we can talk, yeah, but what about this? And I have all these questions and we can go here and there and we can do all this explaining and dancing and theology and studying this and all that. But no matter how complicated and convoluted we make it, it really comes back to this simple issue Do you trust God? And if there's still the bitterness and the disappointment and all those things, then the answer is no. And sometimes you have to arrive at that place of trust. And sometimes it's a journey. But that's really all it is. It's just simply an issue of trust. Do you trust God or don't you? In Luke chapter 1, verse 30, this is when the angel shows up to Mary. And he said, And the the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever And his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary had had some questions. How will this be? The angel answered her. said, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. But where she landed was, according to your word, let it be. Let it be unto me, according to your word. 
And that is just that simple trust. Don't you think she had a few Don't you think she had some questions? What is, first of all, why me? Why her mind was filled with questions. How am I supposed to raise the son of God? I think she had a lot of questions later because if you look what he said, a lot of these things didn't come to pass in Jesus' life the way she would have thought they were going to happen. You know, he, he said that he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. Well, she would have thought that he was going to be king then. He was going to be in the lineage of David and king of Israel and set us free from this Roman oppression. It didn't happen like that. It was true, but it didn't happen like she thought. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. She would have thought of that in very natural terms. She wasn't thinking of that in the spiritual terms of how it ended up happening. So what did she have? Well, all she had was trust. And so many times, that's all we have, is trust and faith in God. And each of us have that decision to make. Are we going to be a person that's always questioning God? Are we going to settle that in our heart now? It doesn't matter what happens. I've already made up in my mind I trust God. Because I've already settled. I'm, there's going to be tons of things I experience in this life that I don't have the answers to. But what I can do and what I can control is my trust and my faith in God. And I truly believe his character. And I give him the benefit of the doubt. And I look forward to a day where I'm going to stand with him. And I believe all my questions are going to be answered. But I may not get that on this side. Amen. 